You are listening to Porch 84, a podcast that gives voice to community advocates in Southeast Iowa. My name is Mike Heaton, and joining me from his porch on South Adams in Mount Pleasant is Jeff Fager, the Democratic candidate for District 84 of the Iowa House of Representatives. Each week prior to the November 3rd election, Jeff and I will be meeting with key community advocates on Jeff's porch. We will listen, we will learn, and we will discuss the key issues impacting our communities from Wayland to West Point, from Winfield to Lockridge, and right here in Mount Pleasant. We will tackle all the big issues like healthcare and childcare, agriculture and the arts, senior living and rural life. No matter who you vote for in November, we are glad to have you along on this weekly journey as we learn about the issues and work together to make Southeast Iowa a truly great place to live. And welcome to episode number five of Porch 84. Jeff, it's hard to believe that we're already on episode five. We've already had some great conversations with community leaders from around Southeast Iowa on really, really important topics that impact all of our lives here in the region. So what issue will we be addressing this episode? This episode deals with public education, primarily K through 12. The challenges that are being faced, uh, particularly in this day of COVID-19, but also the joys of education and what we can do to keep improving and keep Iowa in a strong position nationally. It sounds like you had a great interview with a school board member for Mount Pleasant Community School District that you're going to share with us today. Yes, uh, I did. A good friend uh, and a former colleague, Martha Wiley, who's a member of the school board, but she was on the faculty of Iowa Wesleyan University when I was there. So I uh, pulled in that friendship card and convinced this person who's very well versed in this topic uh, to talk with me on my porch. Wonderful. Let's listen in to the interview. I welcome Martha Wiley to my porch today to talk about public education. Uh, Martha's been a a friend and colleague, so Martha, I'm going to turn to you and and tell us about yourself and what brought you to your current station in life. Well, thank you for inviting me, Jeff, and this is a really unique setting for uh, running a political campaign. And as a school board member, I, I watch with awe and wonder We don't usually have to run for office for school board. How I came to be on the school board, well, let's see. We moved to town when my children were little, and my husband joined his family business. And then when they were old enough, that I felt they were old enough, I started teaching. And I taught at the little school district south of here, Harmony, and that was 18 glorious years. And then I... Moved on up here to Mount Pleasant and taught for 10 years at the high school. And after I retired from that, I taught at Wesleyan, where I got to know you a little bit, Jeff. I was in the teacher preparation program there, and I supervised field experience. So I got to see Iowa Wesleyan students as they were polishing their craft and getting a lot of feedback from those professors. When I eventually retired from that, this opportunity came to be on the school board, and I thought, now here's something that, you know, I could share what I know with the community and, and try to be a positive presence there on the school board. 
the school board is an entirely different view of education from being in the trenches and being an educator. But when we're working on policy and working on finance, my brain immediately goes to how is this going to translate into what it means for children? How is this going to impact what happens in their classroom? How is this going to work for the teachers and the administrators and the secretaries and the bus drivers and all the different people that make that work for them? And so that, that's a gift that I guess I have. Um, I don't have any children in the district right now, but I've got some experience. That's, that's fabulous. Thank you for getting us up to date on that. And you've already opened up a number of issues. At this point, I want to say that Martha is here with me at my invitation, and she is speaking from her own experience and not speaking on behalf of the Mount Pleasant School District. And I say that specifically because we are going to be getting into topics that uh, have a political bent to them. So understand, she's not in official position as a member of the board. She's speaking as Martha Wiley, but I appreciate her experience and am happy to learn from her. I would like to ask, with your years of experience in the schools and then getting onto the school board, was there anything that surprised you as you worked on the school board itself? Well, I already had some appreciation for the complexity of school finance and the impact of regulations and standards, all the different details that people who are employed by the school district have to be continually up to speed on, and that should be apparent to them. I had no clue how completely complicated the finance was, and I'm still learning a lot about that, the different funds, and you talk, they talk about buckets of money, but for instance, the, the PEPL, which is approved every five years, that's money that's only um, gathered through sales tax and can only be spent on things like computers and infrastructure. It absolutely would not pay anybody's salary. And we have to, we're audited every year. That has to be shown. Do you feel the public has a, a sense for, at least generally, the complexity of these finances and policy decisions? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, it, it's enough to just know that it's being handled by good people and to ask when they have questions. But they've got other things that they need to be worrying about their own jobs their own particulars and if they'd like to be on the school board we I'm sure that you know come next election for school board we can certainly find a spot for them okay uh, do you feel supported by the public I do yes I feel I I don't get a lot of um, contrary opinion uh, because and in large part because of uh, Superintendent Henriksen being abundantly transparent. He does those interviews for the radio station. He is available to anyone who has questions, and he seems to have a, his radar up so he knows in advance almost some of the questions that I have. If it's something that's uncomfortable to tell me, he, he just tells me. He's very good at that. 
And I think when people know that you'll tell them how it is, black or white, they trust you more. Oh, okay. So leadership is pretty important for this. It's uh, huge. Mm -hmm. We have experienced and certainly are experiencing some uh, challenges, let's mm -hmm. say. Yeah. A few years ago with the ice raid at a local cement plant, I think many students were affected by that, uh, children of men who were taken into custody. And that presented some problems in the public school system. Were you on the board at that time? And yes, I was. And what's, um, what was really concerning to me, and frankly, uh, probably a lot of people don't realize that the vast majority of those men still have not had their day in court. They are, they've been out on bond. They've been, many, probably most of those folks, have been given a work permit, but they're in limbo until they can make their day in court to decide whether or not ICE really had the right to take them in their particular situation. And each one of them has a different story to tell, a different reason why they're here. And not every one of them was a head of household, but most of them were. And so if you have a head of household who is out of work for a significant amount of time and then is in a tenuous position after that, that puts the kids in, um, in a situation where we would call they have adverse childhood experiences. Anytime you have someone who has food insecurity, who doesn't know for sure that the rent's going to be paid, if a child has a parent or perhaps an uncle or somebody in the household who is arrested, that is an adverse childhood experience. It affects the child, not just the person who was taken. And if those folks who had been taken in the ICE raid had left our community, uh, their family, I'm sure, would have gone with them. And this is where my brain all of a sudden started going, is if we have these families do a mass exodus, you know what that does to our school system that runs our numbers down? And you say, well, all the special programs and things, well, there aren't that many programs for English language learners that we aren't already required to have. But if our number, student count, goes down, then the amount of money we get from the state goes down, and that affects every single program. That affects whether or not we can continue to offer all of the glorious electives that we're pretty used to at the high school and keep the class sizes down so that we can employ the same number of teachers that we've had. Uh, this impacts every child, the yep. school count does. And those children who've had to go through a time of deep insecurity, then their behavior in the classroom may be ultra withdrawn. Uh, they may have a hard time uh, tracking and picking up the kinds of information that they need in order to progress. There, there's just um, a domino effect all throughout the school district when we have something like that happen. And Jeff, I don't know if you're aware, but about a year after the ICE raid, this community response in support of those families and the men who were taken was given an award by Homeland Security for response to a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. 
It, oh. It's on display at our church. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a whole topic right there, uh, how Mount Pleasant welcomes newcomers to the community. But clearly I hear two very important issues with the children and the public schools. One is if an event like this takes a number of children out of the system, it affects the income from the state. Yes, it does. And that's one of these financial issues that a school board has to wrestle with. The state legislature uh, sets a per-pupil allowance each year, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. The legislature seems to me to do a lot of posturing and not making decision in timely manner. And maybe they do realize what that means at the local level. Maybe they don't. But if they don't keep their own legislatively imposed deadline for coming up with this number on the per-pupil dollar, what that means is that the local school districts cannot effectively plan and set budget, they are also required by law to certify their own budget at a certain date. And we've had the legislature just kind of play fast and loose with that right up to the very end. And what that means is you can't determine exactly what you're going to pay your staff. That includes both the contracted staff and the food service workers and the bus drivers. We want to be able to tell them all that they are appreciated and this is what you can anticipate for a salary in the coming year. But we can't do that until we know what the state is going to allow. And there are all kinds of little ripples. I talked about dominoes, but there are little ripples in that you can't issue contracts to the teachers until you have that number. If you can't issue contracts to the teachers, then there is absolutely no, I guess you could call it a punishment, if a teacher leaves your district after signing a contract, then there is some hold on them. They have to, you know, there's some penalty there of of finding the new teacher to replace them. If they haven't signed a contract yet, they are free agent, and we can lose them. And the school board always gets a little antsy if we haven't issued those contracts and gotten them back because we think our teacher staff is stellar, and we want to retain them. And, you know, if they have to go, they have to go. If they've got a family issue, they've got a family issue. But, boy, if we can keep them, we want to keep them. And this gives them an opportunity to go to other states. That yeah, maybe... that too. Yeah. And then all kinds of things like, uh, when can we start our vacation Bible school? When can we start Little League? When can we start swimming lessons? All these things are impacted not just by snow days, but by our legislature. You're right. It has a ripple effect throughout the community in terms of calendar and what students can and cannot do, who can be employed, who may be leaving the community. So that's pretty significant. Oh, yeah. I I can't count the number of meetings I've sat in on where everybody gets out their school calendar to find out when the games were, when, when the show choir invitational is, 
so that they can plan events for adults. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's it's a powerful thing. And you point out that the timeliness of the legislature plays a major, major role in all of this. So thank you for that. The other issue that I heard, going back to the ice raid and children, were the adverse effects for children and how that affects them in the schools and how the schools need to understand that. And to me, that brings to mind society is putting a lot of responsibility on teachers in the public schools. Uh, how much can we take? Uh, and, and at what point will we break the system by asking more and more of our public schools? Well, one place that this public school has been putting its dollars here recently is to help teachers learn how to conduct a classroom so that it is supportive of traumatized children. Children who come to you who are afraid for their basic survival needs aren't going to learn their ABCs. They won't because they're too panicked. How to de-escalate them, give them comfort. It's called trauma-informed. We've had some consultants from Four Oaks come down and lead workshops for the teachers. They've had uh, book studies where they've been led by our teacher leaders to talk about um, these adverse childhood experiences and how to help children deal with them. Now, what made us decide to do that? The children who had been coming well in advance of COVID or the ice raid, the general temperament of incoming kindergartners is different from when you were a kindergartner or Mr. Heaton was a kindergartner. There, you'll find children coming that have a lot of social issues that we had never seen before entering the public school. Hooray for Anita Hampton and early childhood development at preschool and support of preschool has been high on our list for a long time. And the school board has even discussed the need for more options for child care here in Henry County. It is very difficult to find responsible child care. And we've talked about, is there a building somewhere? Can we encourage someone to start businesses here? Helping parents get to work with child care that's, that's good for the kids and good for the families. Uh, this shows the interconnectedness of all of these issues we've been talking about. So uh, here we are talking about primarily K through 12, but it, it cannot be separated from earlier childhood and then moving on later. So I always felt when I was teaching at the high school here that I can handle a bigger class if they had smaller classes for kindergartners. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was just convinced of that, that kindergartners getting more attention and making school more their second home was going to impact my work 12 years later, for sure. And, and it sounds like what that can do is help children deal with these adverse experiences they may be having at home. So as you say, they have a safe place, a caring place where the teacher is a loving teacher, 
it gives and, them the opportunity to to grow and get past some of the adversity they're experiencing. Well, some people, you know, are advocates for tough love, but if you've got a kid who's right on the ratty edge, there has to be a way to center them rather than escalate them. Excellent. We'll be back in a moment. Voting is an act of citizenship. Election Day is Tuesday, November 3rd. In Iowa, we began on Monday, October 5th, what is called early voting. To early vote, you can ask for and receive a ballot mailed to your home, complete the ballot and return it to the courthouse by mail, deliver it in person, or place it at any time in the secure gray drop box in the back of the Henry County Courthouse. That's the south side of the courthouse. Henry County Auditor and Commissioner of Elections Shelley Barber will check the drop box frequently. This is the only drop box in Henry County. If you choose, you can now visit the courthouse during business hours, weekdays, and vote in person at the second floor auditor's office. Both of these methods are recorded by law as absentee voting. Your ballot will be secure and properly counted. Tracking your ballot is easy at the Iowa Secretary of State website, sos.iowa.gov. That's sos.iowa.gov. This system works just fine, no matter what you may hear. If you vote early, do it now. Do not delay. And you can have every confidence that our post office workers, our letter carriers, Auditor Barber and her staff will conduct this process with the utmost care, security, and professionalism. So now we are going to turn to something a bit more current that we're facing, and that is, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. And we all know that uh, our public schools have wrestled with this, trying to reopen, do what's best for the children while maintaining safety. The school district has done enormous amounts of things in the way of um, allowing for social distancing, trying to listen to the CDC, as well as the local public health has been extremely important, the local public health. And Shelley Van Dorn is, we are so fortunate to have a woman of that caliber. It's been interesting what I hear from the teachers. I, again, heard from a lot of parents, oh, how can my child wear a mask? Well, they're not asking them to wear a mask at home. But at school, if your teacher's wearing a mask and your classmates are wearing masks, it's just the thing to do. The children are way faster learners than their parents. I can tell you that. And they love being back at school because we've had them out for half a year. So that's, that's good. Now, some families have opted for their children to stay home and do online learning, which is it's tough to do because you will get maybe an hour's worth of good stuff online, and then you're supposed to work with your child to help them stay up to speed on the classroom work, and this time it's not optional. It counts. Yeah. And some families are still figuring that out. But by having those folks gone from the school, the kids who remain can be a little bit farther apart, which is not a bad thing, not bad at all, and... Uh, it's from what I hear from, I ask every kid I see, how's school? 
I ask every teacher I see, tell me about it. And I, I'm getting high marks on the plan so far. Now, if the, the pandemic gets a little scarier, we will move to the hybrid plan. And that would be secondary students only in their buildings half of the time. They have, you know, half of them here on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then the following Tuesday, Thursday. The other half will fill in those other slots so we can keep them separate. And then we will spread out in each individual building for the elementary kids. If that's really not working and we have to go to online, what we're going to see is um, a lot of families that cannot do it. Here in Henry County, one of our issues is we've got a lovely rural setting with rivers running through it, which means valleys and hills and no internet for some households, or spotty internet, or internet that's not robust enough to do a uh, Zoom conference, so they have to come to town to do it. There are also families that, even if they are in a location where they could have internet, they don't have the wherewithal to pay the internet service provider. Now, students are issued computers. that are compatible and they are good and they are what is expected for the lessons. But you have to get the signal from the school to that computer. We anticipate about 20% of the households would need either some heroic help getting the internet or we would be bringing those kids back to the buildings. We generally, at this time of year, invite all of the legislative candidates, both parties, to a school board meeting and share with them what our priorities are for the coming year. The Iowa State School Board Association puts priorities that the school districts feel are important in in front of the legislators. And one of them was the timeliness of determining the supplemental state aid, that in which I mentioned earlier, Another was the um, mental health issues that we have to deal with and having resources in our community. And then one that wasn't on the list that was recommended, though, that we threw into the pot, which I think is very important, is the issue of broadband availability throughout the state of Iowa. Uh, We talked about no child left behind. Well, this is no household left behind. Right. Right. A lot of people, you can't do your homework lesson on your cell phone. Can't do it. Now, another end to it, of course, is not just receiving the lessons. That's great. But we've got a whole staff full of teachers that need to be brought up to speed on how to create this. Uh, It's not a no-brainer. You can't just say, well, you're brilliant. You can figure it out. That won't work. And I know that, as a matter of fact, just this week, some of the uh, training that they're going to be taking is on how to structure a lesson, what you can expect uh, in the way of grading. If you're going to be assessing progress, what does that look like? How much accountability can you expect? All kinds of things. And some of these teachers will just take to it like ducks to water, and others will need a lot of hand-holding. But we're going to expect all of them to be able to do it. 
If you do wind up in the legislature, I want you to look seriously at how the legislature can encourage probably private businesses, private, uh, I, I don't know if our current um, fiber stringers can handle putting fiber everywhere, but can we do something wireless? There's got to be some technology that's just ready to break and needs a little bit of a push so that we can do this. Well, again, the interconnections between many of these topics. This crisis has literally put quite a burden on parents, on children, on teachers, on staff. Uh, We seem to be soldiering through it as best we can, but we're learning that there are issues that need addressing beyond just this particular crisis, so we'll look at that. Another issue that's come up I want to get to uh, is, and this is where we get a little political, the distinction between state control and local control, because we're getting some pretty strong directive from the governor's office, I'll be clear, and some pushback from local districts saying, wait a minute, we thought that public education was a local issue. Um, that's a tough balance. How, how do we deal with that? Oh, it's, it's all in one great big toss salad already, Jeff. <laughs> the, and our district's position, we're not big enough to have a lot of clout, and we are troopers. And if we're asked to do something, we will move heaven and earth to make it happen for our kids and to be in compliance with whatever regulations. We are used to lots of regulations on what we do. Uh, I, the expectations of public school are enormous, and that's one place where the, the public has not as much appreciation as they really should for how many things happen in the school district that they have to do in order to meet the regulations. Um, I, I can work with whatever as long as I know what the playing field is. I do not like it when it keeps changing. I, I like to know what the ground rules are and then full speed ahead. Very good. Sound, sounds like uh, something I need to put in my notebook for uh, <laughs> when I end up in Des Moines. Good idea, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for joining me on my porch, Martha. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot. I know our listeners learned a lot. Thank you for inviting me, Jeff. It's been a, a fun time here on your porch. <laughs> and thanks again, Martha. And we will be back in a moment. The United States Postal Service has served the citizens of our nation just fine for over 200 years. It has been over 100 years since the Rural Free Delivery Act, remember RFD, helped rural Iowa and America bind together as a nation. Never before in history has a President of the United States sought to undermine and discredit our personal service as has President Trump. His motives are suspect. His words and actions are clear. Donald Trump wants us to believe our postal and election system cannot be trusted. He is wrong. He cites unfounded and extremely rare incidents as if they were commonplace. His postmaster general has removed necessary equipment from post offices, making it difficult for workers to do their jobs. He wants us to distrust the very people we have grown to trust the most. 
Our post office workers and letter carriers have long been trusted and should be thanked. Our Iowa Secretary of State, Paul Pate, a Republican, is doing his very best to conduct a first-rate election. Our Henry County Auditor and Commissioner of Elections, Shelley Barber, a Republican, and her staff are working tirelessly to ensure our votes are safe, secure, and professionally handled. Yes, you are hearing this from a Democrat. The President's meddling places added demand on these very good people. This is wrong. We cannot have it. We must vote, do so proudly, and have confidence in an election system that keeps America safe and free. All right, welcome back to episode five of Porch 84. That interview with Martha Wiley was fantastic. She is uh, incredibly experienced on education, especially here in this local area. I found it fascinating. She brings not only great experience, but she has learned some more as she's entered the world of the school board and the complexity there. But she also knows how that impacts what I think she referred to as the frontline workers, the teachers and staff who are dealing with children. So it's a wealth of knowledge and, uh, I believe, wisdom. I love it. It felt very child-centric, everything she was talking about. And to take that perspective and then apply it to decisions made at, in Des Moines at the State House, what are some of the ideas or thoughts that you came away with? Well, as a member of a school board, she understands the timeliness that is required in making decisions. And I will tell you my own experience as a person who made budgets, you have to know ahead of time what is your income going to look like so that you can make those good decisions about how to allocate funds. Knowing exactly what you're going to be getting from the state, that's crucial in making those plans. One thing I found very fascinating was just two weeks ago, we heard Anita Hampton talk about the importance of early childhood education on the future of a child. And now we hear that mirrored or confirmed by Martha and how a good early childhood education pays dividends come high school. And then just last week, we heard Dave Hellman talk about the importance of rural broadband. And here's Martha talking about how 20% of the kids may not even have access to online learning if the school system goes to fully remote because of COVID-19. And just seeing that interconnectedness, it, it's very real. It, it all is interconnected. So you cannot look at any single issue in and of itself. With broadband, we can get to students more easily. Broadband also, of course, affects other economic sectors. But if our students learn better, then they become more productive citizens. They are paying more taxes. They are staying out of trouble, and our entire community benefits. So it's a, it's a feedback loop. We help the students. The students are going to grow up to be adults who help the community. It's all a piece. It's so important, and you sort of take those things for granted, you know, when you look around your community about how we always have had public schools that we've just sort of taken for granted. But you really hear when you talk to professionals that are, have seen the whole spectrum like Martha has in education, you really see the importance on so many levels to the overall welfare and quality of life that we have in, in, our, in our area. 
When Sally and I moved to this region, we remember the time when Iowa was the leader in the nation in public schools. Uh, sadly, I think we've slipped some. And we need to regain that because we are in a region in the nation that is experiencing some population decline, particularly in the rural areas. And so for District 84, it's important that we maintain a strong public education system that is able to provide the foundation that's going to attract economic growth to our region. The other piece I got out of what she was saying really was Mount Pleasant School District's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our our teachers and our administrators are nothing short of superheroes. They are superheroes, and the human capital we have is outstanding. I think what they need is the support from the top to make sure they feel valued and supported emotionally as well as financially. And I would get back to the timeliness issue, that we believe in them, and so we are going to make the decisions at the right time so they can make the decisions they need to make and keep our schools strong. Well, Jeff, that was a fantastic interview. I know I learned a lot. Thank you again for bringing these incredible community advocates that have put the work in to make our community better. Thank you for bringing them to your porch and and interviewing them. Until next time, from Jeff's porch, thank you.